Well, good morning. My name's Shane Seegers. I'm one of the pastors here at Centerpoint, and obviously I'm not John Schmidt. John and his wife, Debbie, were in Kentucky this weekend. Their youngest son, Graham, uh, got married. Uh, so we're so excited for Graham and Ashton, and they're obviously there celebrating uh, that event and being with family. So we're in our last installment of our series, the uh, third person, talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And today, uh, you know, John asked me if I would uh, be willing to preach, and I, I was so excited because this is a message that I just didn't start working on a couple of weeks ago. This is something God's been doing in my life for 28 years. And so I pray that the, what, what God has done in my life will be uh, some way that is impactful for you because this is not just truth about the Holy Spirit. We've looked at the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does, but this is how do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? How do we walk with Him? How does He fill us? What difference does it make that the Holy Spirit lives within us? And I'm trusting that God will do a work in your life uh, that He's done in mine. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word, your truth. And Lord, we're praying that your truth will set us free, that you will lead us into insights and understandings that we've never had before so we can experience you in ways that we never thought possible, that will lead us into life and out of being frustrated and barren and depressed, but into that joy and fruit that you promised that only comes about through your life in and through us. God, would you speak to us today for our good and for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to talk about how to walk in the Spirit. Before we do, I want to put a picture up of a little boy. This little boy uh, grew up confused. Now, this little boy, he had everything in the sense that you would want as a child. He had a great home, a great family, uh, great parents. Uh, All of his needs were provided for. Uh, This young boy was also... A theologian in some sense, he, he wouldn't know that word. He wouldn't have been able to explain what that word meant, but he knew God. Early on, he knew the truth about sin. He knew that sin was real. He knew that he was a sinner. He also knew that there was consequences for sin. And those consequences were separation from God. And if you died, that separation would be eternal in a real place called hell. That little boy was scared to death of hell. That little boy asked Jesus to come in his heart because he knew that Jesus was the solution for the penalty of sin. But he was confused about how to live the Christian life. Because even though he knew that he was a sinner and that he knew he needed Jesus, after he asked Jesus into his heart, he was confused because he was given just a list of rules. It was like, "Here, here are these things. Some of them were the Ten Commandments. Some of them were other principles or rules that even weren't in the Ten Commandments, but their, his church tradition thought were important, like not dancing, not watching our all things like that, not saying anything about that. Just saying, those were the rules that he was given. And what happened is, he tried to live the Christian life by the rules. And what happened is, he got greater and greater confusion because he realized, I can't do it. No matter how hard he tried to live by the rules, the rules just kept showing where he didn't measure up. And so every night he would find himself scared. Did it really ever happen in my life? Am I really a Christian? Did God truly forgive me? How can he keep forgiving me when I keep messing up? I try, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. That was his prayer. And no matter how hard he tried, 
he realized, I can't do better. And see, this little boy was me. I could have picked any, pic- any picture of me between 7 and, really now, but 18, where there was nothing but confusion going on in that guy's life. Everything looked good. He did well in school, had lots of friends. But when it came to his relationship with God, there was confusion, there was frustration, and there was fear. Because he didn't know how to walk by the Spirit. Because the one thing he did learn was that you cannot live the Christian life in your own strength. Has anybody ever figured that out? If you haven't, keep trying. Because you will. It's something called Romans 7. He didn't know Romans 7. He learned Romans 7 by experience. When he finally read it and understood it, it turned a light bulb in his head. That's me. I know the good that I want to do, but I can't do it. And the bad I don't want to do, I end up doing it anyways. Because that's what rules do. This young boy also understood what Galatians 3 was. The curse of trying to perfect what God starts by His Spirit in your own strength. And you try and follow the rules and the, and the law. And what happens is it becomes a curse because all it does is convict you and condemn you where you don't meet it. And so no matter how hard you try, you are not equipped to live the Christian life in your own strength. Do you know that? There's only one person who's ever been able to live the Christian life, and that is God. And He's never asked you to imitate Him. He's asked you to allow Him to express His life in and through you through the power of the Holy Spirit. But because I grew up in a tradition and in a church where we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, we mentioned Him. You know, He was the Holy Ghost. That scared me too. You know, He was, he was the third part of the church. You know, He was at the end of a prayer that we might say. But we never talked about him. I've heard about him, but that was something that people down the street at another church talked about. And they experienced the Holy Spirit. And it, and it was different because then it was about maybe singing or raising hands or experiences that I didn't know. And since we didn't talk about it, I was left to my own efforts and my own rules to try and make this young boy try and figure out how to live the Christian life. And all I kept doing is finding out I can't do it. Until God brought some people in my life when I was a freshman in college. And I realized that there was something different about them. And they knew Jesus in a way that I wanted to know Jesus. And they experienced Him and they talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I kind of braced myself, what's this going to be? Because I was confused and I was ignorant and I didn't understand about it. But then they began to share with me about what it meant to have a relationship so that Jesus, through His Spirit, could live in and through you and manifest a life that you could never do in your own. Now, how many of you have struggled with it and would like to have a breakthrough? Would like to say, God, I want more of you? Because it's not what I thought it was. I thought I needed more of the Holy Spirit in order to live this life. Like, there was something lacking in me. I couldn't do it, so there must be something lacking. Because there's a difference between being filled or directed, or walking in the Spirit, than being indwelt by the Spirit. When you're a Christian, what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes to what? Live within you. He indwells you. But you know what? To be filled, or to walk in the Spirit, doesn't mean that He's just in you. It means that He possesses, He has you. And it's not really an issue of you needing more Spirit to walk in in uh, the Spirit or to be directed by Him because you have everything you need for life and godliness. He didn't just give you a little bit of Himself. He gave you all of Himself. And He lives within you. 
The real issue of being walking of walking in the Spirit is how much does He have of you? And it took me a long time to figure this out. And I didn't have any teachers, really, other than His Spirit and His Word and a couple of people that would come into my life that God would use. And I kind of want to just take you on this journey about what I learned that's very simple about what it means to be filled with the Spirit or how to walk in the Spirit. What's our response to the Holy Spirit living within us? So if you have your outline, if you'll turn with me to letter A there, I want you to see that God wants the Holy Spirit to fill your life. We already said that He indwells your life, but He wants to fill you. So the difference between indwelling is He indwells you, He lives within you. Filling means He controls, directs, or empowers your life. There's a difference. It's just like chocolate milk. When you make chocolate milk, you get a glass of milk, you squeeze the chocolate in, and before you mix it up, it's in, chocolate's indwelling the milk. It's just down at the bottom, right? But if you want to fill the milk, you've got to stir it and get it into every area. And that's what God wants to do. Great illustration, I know. I mean, we're going straight to the top of the theological food chain here. But I do it so I can understand it. And this is what God does. He wants to fill your life and get into every area. And so he gives us an example in Ephesians chapter 5, 17 through 18. He says, don't act thoughtlessly. This is Paul writing. He says, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So this is God's will for you. This is what he wants you to do. Don't act thoughtlessly about it. No, this is what God wants. Don't be drunk with wine. Well, why? Because that will ruin your life. Because when you're drunk with wine, who's in control of you? You? No, the alcohol is. It lowers your inhibitions. It takes control. It causes you to do things you wouldn't normally do. You begin to do acts that you wouldn't do. You begin to say things that you wouldn't say. Your driving becomes crazy. All these types of things because the alcohol's in control. It's directing. It's empowering you. And if you do it with the wrong substance, it can ruin your life. And so he gives us this example of how being filled can be destructive. But what he's challenging us to do is to be filled with something that's not destructive, but the only life-giving possibility ever. That's his spirit. Because if you're filled with the Spirit, but he says instead be filled with the Spirit so you can begin to experience his life. And so that's what we want to talk about. You're already indwelt, but how do I become filled, controlled, directed, empowered? How do I walk in the Spirit? Because I was never taught that. Well, thankfully, it's in the Bible. A lot. And when I began to read the Bible for myself, God began to show me things through his Spirit. And this is what he says in one area. Look at point one there. You walk in the Spirit when you let the Holy Spirit guide your life. When you let the Holy Spirit guide your life. That's what we're talking about. Who's controlling, who's directing, who's empowering, who's in control, who's guiding your life. And when you walk in the Spirit, you will let the Holy Spirit be that person. So let's look at Galatians five sixteen through 18. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Okay then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Has anybody ever experienced this in their life? You know what you want to do, but you can't do it. And you know what you don't want to do, and you're tempted to always do it. That's the struggle that's going on. And the reason why is because you have two natures if you're a believer. Now, I want to put up some circles here. That when God made Adam and Eve, He made us in three parts. 
He made a body. He said that he formed Adam out of the dust, out of the dirt, out of the mud, and he molded a body. And then it says that he breathed into him the life or the spirit, and he became a life, a living soul. And so as a person, we are three. We have a body, we have a soul, and our soul is where our mind, our will, and our emotions live. And we have a spirit. And this is where we commune with God. Now, there was a remember, there was a tree in the middle of the garden. God said, if you eat from that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, when you eat from it, you will die, surely dying dead. That was the most emphatic way that it could be told that these are the consequences of sinning, choosing your own will. Now, Adam and Eve, we know, ate from the tree. When they ate from the tree, did they die that day? Did they? Yes and no. They did not die physically. They still had a body. So if you turn, go to the next slide, slide two. They died in their spirit. They were separated from God. The place where God from the inside out. Because if you wanted to know what it meant to be in the image of God, it was to have the life of God in your spirit communicating from the inside out through your mind, your will, and your emotions, and expressing it through your body. That's how it was originally intended to be, from the inside out. But when they ate from the tree, they died spiritually. So now the only way life can be expressed is from the outside in. And so that's why our body, our five senses, were driven by our senses. What we see, what we taste, what we want, what we handle. And then it comes to our soul, our mind, and our mind and our thoughts and our feelings and our will. They've all been shaped by all this stuff pressing from the outside, not from God's life on the inside because we were set apart from that. That's why Jesus said you must be what? Born again. You must have this new life. We must have His Spirit come and make us alive. And this is what Paul is showing us in this little uh, blur or passage from Galatians 5 is that there's two natures within us if you're a Christian. You have the Spirit of God who's been reborn. Go back to slide one. You have the Spirit of God which has been reborn. Slide one. Okay, yeah, hey, there we go. We got the Spirit. We're born again. And now He can communicate through our mind, will, and emotions and then express it through His senses. Apart from that, we had just our flesh, which were just these two. Our five senses, our, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And they were at odds with each other. And so you have two roots. And one other thing I learned is you don't overcome your sinful nature, your flesh, which was that life apart from, apart from God. You don't overcome that by trying to control it. See, that was a newsflash. That's not what I was told. I was told if you want to overcome your flesh... Do this, do this, here are these rules, don't do this, don't do that. And all it did was cause my flesh to gain more power. That's exactly what Scripture says. The law is what gives sin its power. And the more I had a law telling me not to do it, the more it either tempted me to do it. Now, it muted my desires just to do all those things, but it can never produce the life that it was intended to. And so Paul is showing us in this passage that, one, we have two natures within us. And the only way to overcome the sinful nature is not trying to control it, but to yield to the Spirit. Because he says, if you walk in the Spirit, you cannot fulfill the desires of the flesh. That makes sense, doesn't it? If I'm doing what God wants me to, I cannot at the same time be doing what He does not want me to be doing. And so instead of just starting off with a list of, here are all the things that God does not want you to do, how about we just get in step with what God says that you should be doing? 
just changes the focus completely. And so you overcome your flesh, not by trying to overcome it, but by yielding to the Spirit. One other thing he says, it's the last sentence in there. He says, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Now that's important simply because you need to know that even though the law of God is a part of God's Word, and even though it reflects His holy, righteous, and godly standard, it is not the means to produce it in your life. I can tell you in Galatians 2 where Paul says the only way to live for God He said, in order to live for God, I had to die to the law. The Apostle Paul. That would be so mind-blowing to me because I grew up in church where they told me, if you want to live for God, here are the ten things that you got to do all the time. And I tried to do those things, and instead of the life that that they desired for it, it brought death in my life because it just showed I couldn't do it. And if you're looking at me going, that's heresy, that's crazy, please read the book of Galatians because that's what the book of Galatians says. It's what the book of Romans says. It's what the book of Ephesians says. It's all that we cannot do this in our own strength. That's why we need to walk in the power of the Spirit. So, let's go to point two. Now now that you have two natures, if you're a child of God, then either either the Spirit or your sinful nature is going to guide your life. One of those two things are going to be in control. Either the Holy Spirit or your sinful nature. Now, you might go, well, how do I know? Well, it's really easy. It's real easy to know who's in control. Paul helps us to see that. Galatians 5, 19 through 23 says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. He says, let me tell you again, as I've said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The reason why is you can tell those results are coming from the flesh. The things that you see that someone else has that you want. The things that you feel that someone else has that you don't want. That, you know, it's all about you're driven by your flesh. And you can tell when you're living out of that and you can see these deeds. Now, when you see these deeds in your life, there's a couple of things to do. First, if you're a believer, confess it. Say, God, this is not of you. This is showing me I'm living out of my flesh. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming to live within me so I don't have to let this dominate my life. Please, guide me in how I can walk in that. That's confession. That's repentance. That's re-surrendering back to God's Spirit. You don't have to keep on pushing forward and try and say, well, I'll just do better. I'll try not to. Because now you're going to try to control the flesh through your own strength, and you can't do it. So, he says, you'll know if you're walking by the old source, just look at the deeds. And he also says there that um, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me say two things about that. One is, yes, if you're living that way continually, it might prove... Because if you have no conviction and you're just living that way, it might prove that you don't have that other nature. All you have is your flesh. And if that's the case, then you need to ask God to give you life and forgiveness. Because you can't change that on your own. You need to be saved. You need to be rescued from that. But the other thing is you won't inherit the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is known as the rule and reign of God. The rule and reign. Who's in control? 
If you're experiencing all of those things, who's in control? It's your flesh. It is not God. And if you're allowing God to be in control, then you're going to continue to reap those things. No matter how hard you want to do something for God, your flesh will continue to reveal its true character. So then he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. You know why there's no law against these things? Because they they do no harm to any other person. This is why you don't need the law of God to obey God or to please God. You need the Spirit of God to love, to follow God and to please Him. And as you submit, surrender, walk in step with Him, He's going to be producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And now I don't have to worry about, am I stealing from you? No, because I'm, I'm giving to you. I'm loving you. I'm being faithful to you. These are the things that God wants to produce in us. I just want you to see, you cannot do that apart from His Spirit. So, you might be left going, well, well, how do I do that? How do I quit walking in my flesh that produces these things to varying degrees? And I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to walk in direction with Him so I experience this type of life. Well, it's not as difficult as it might seem. And for someone who grew up confused, this was great news for me. Because letter B tells us this, that walking in the Spirit requires a practical response more than an emotional or mystical experience. That was good news for me. There's something practical that you can do to walk in the Spirit. And it's not, it's not that it's not emotional. It's just more than emotional. And it's not that it's some things I don't understand that God's doing. It's just I'm cooperating with God. So let me explain this. Because, again, the answer is very clear. Point one of letter B, your mind and thoughts determine if you are following the Spirit or your sinful nature. It's not some mystical experience that you can't understand it. It's what is in your mind and your thoughts that determine if you're staying in step with the Spirit or if you're going your own direction according to your flesh. Now, where did I get that from? Paul wrote in Romans 8, verses 5 through 6, he says this, those who are dominated, again, dominated, controlled. If you're controlled or dominated by the sinful nature... They think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they what? Think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds lead to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So if you put up slide three, you'll see where this comes about. You have messages from your flesh coming this way. From your body, in your soul, from the world. And then you have messages coming this way from your spirit. And where they intersect is right here in your soul. And it's not just based on your emotions, how you feel. Because your emotions can change by what you think, can't they? If you think scary thoughts, then you're going to be scared. You're going to have scary feelings. If you think sad thoughts, you'll have sad... It's, It's not just that, but our emotions can be determined by what we think. Our will, the things that you choose to do, are they not also determined by what you think? Why would I do this action over this action? Well, because I think the results are better by doing this than by doing this. And so what happens is the mind is where God's truth intersects from what we're feeling with our flesh and what His Spirit is saying. And if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, then guess what? It's going to dominate and control you. 
But if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, then the Spirit will control you. It's kind of simple, isn't it? It's not just some mystical experience or just some emotional thing where I have to have all kinds of goosebump feelings or whatever. You can walk in the Spirit without those things. So how do I do that? Well, we should remind ourselves from Romans 12 too, that we are transformed by renewing our minds. He said, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you what? Think. I want you to see, you know, even in the Old Testament, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. I mean, you know, we feel with the heart, we think with our mind, but in the Old Testament, it's just your inner person. It's always been this way. As we think in our hearts and our minds, we set our minds on the truth, we're transformed, we're changed. And then he says, then you will learn to know God's will for you. Because why? You will know his thoughts. And if you know his thoughts, you'll know his will. And when you know his will, you will find out that it is good, pleasing, and perfect. So the question is, well, how do I begin to fill my mind with his thoughts so that his spirit has something to work on in my life? Because that's really what you have to do. Your life is a lot like this glass tube. I learned this in eighth in ninth grade science. Thank you, Miss Dow, wherever you are today. This light is like your life. It's a glass tube. And this light is a light bulb. And what this tube has is it has something in it. It has an inert gas. You can have a neon sign. It'd be neon. It has argon or whatever. And what you do is when this light is plugged into a power source, now this is going to get really science nerdy on you, that when energy the electricity goes through that power source. It excites the electrons. Woo, say it with me. Woo, all right? And it creates photons, and that's where it starts to illuminate and glow. Okay? But the electricity has to have something to act upon. And your life is the same way. The Spirit of God is the power of God. He is there. He is present. But He needs something to act upon in your life. Those thoughts, that truth. And you need to fill your life with it. Just like this bulb is filled with those inert elements. And so what happens is if you fill your life with the Word of God and the truth of God, and I want you to understand, in order to transform yourself, to change the way you think, you can't just be reading one verse a day going, ooh, I had my quiet time. That doesn't change anything. You'll forget that in five seconds. To change the way you think, you've got to immerse yourself in the Word. And I'm not just talking about 10-hour quiet times. I'm talking about it just has to become the forefront of who you are, what you're thinking. You have to get God's truth in your life. And when you do, when His truth gets in your life, then and you are all of a sudden walking in the Spirit, you're plugged in to His power source. His Spirit, it illuminates. It comes to light. It begins to guide us and direct us. And see, what happens is we want God to, to guide us and to lead us, but so often we're not putting His truth into our life, and we're not putting it into practice. And so we don't know what to do, and we're not going anywhere, and God can't guide parked cars. You ever heard of that saying? You know, you ever tried to steer a parked car, how hard it is? But when you get it going, it does, and get some inertia and movement behind it, it doesn't take a whole lot of energy to steer it. 
And that's what God wants to do. So here's three things real quick I want you to see about what you can do to fill your life with God's truth so His Spirit can bring it to light and guide you and give you life. The first thing you need to do is, letter A, exchange your old thoughts for the Spirit's new thoughts. Very simple. Where did I get that from? Ephesians chapter 4. He says, with the Lord's authority. Get that. It's the Lord's authority. This is what He wants for you. I say, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. But He says it's different for you. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, that you're filling your life with. He says, you know, throw off the old sinful nature and those thoughts in your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. It's not just a feeling. It's a, it's, a, it's a discipline of filling your life, taking off the old and putting in the new thoughts. So what should those thoughts be? Well, he writes in Colossians 3, 1 through 3. He says, let the realities of heaven change your perspective. He writes, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with, God, with Christ in God. You ever heard that saying, don't be so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good? I don't necessarily think that's the best saying. Because I think what this says is we should be so heavenly minded that all of a sudden our life becomes directed by that. Now, how does that work? Let's just take an example. Maybe you're struggling with forgiveness, forgiving someone else or forgiving yourself. Well, what are the realities of heaven when it comes to forgiving yourself? If you're a Christian, how many of your sins are forgiven? All of them. What's Jesus living to do right now? To make intercession for us, pleading for us all the time. If my minds are on heaven and I'm letting that fill my mind, when I struggle with sin, I don't continue to beat myself and condemn myself. I let the truth of heaven. What is Christ doing? He's interceding for me. He's praying for me. He's saying it is paid for. It is good. I'm released in that victory. Does that make sense? I'm letting the truths of heaven change how I'm living down here. And we need to do that in every area of our life. And then a third thing is you need to turn your thoughts into actions. Don't just leave them as thoughts. Don't just leave them as intentions. Put them into actions. Now, where, the, again, listen to Paul. This is from Philippians 4, 8 and 9. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. I mean, when you say one final thing, you're saying, hey, this is important. Listen to me. I'm wrapping this up. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think. Fix your thoughts. Think. You hear this about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And then he says this, and keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. That is so important. Because when we don't put them into practice, it gets harder to hear those thoughts the next time. Have you ever noticed that? I just want to encourage you. When you sense that God is saying something to you or giving you a thought or calling a scripture back to mind or something, put it into practice. Because it's so much easier to say in step with them when you put the first foot down of obedience. It helps with what the next foot's going to be. Because this is ultimately how it ends up. He says our, in our application here, you must follow the Spirit's leading in every part of your life. 
So if you start in one area, it begins to bleed over in another area of your life. There's not just some parts of our life that are for God. Every part of our life is to be for God. Remember how I started this about alcohol? When you get drunk, when you get filled with alcohol, does it just stay in one part of your life? Or does it affect every part of your life? And when we get filled with God's Spirit, does it just affect Sunday morning between the hours of 9 and noon? Or does it impact every area of our life? One last picture I want to put up. I was 18 years old. This is the amphitheater at Clemson University where I went to school. And I told you I grew up confused about the Holy Spirit. Well, after I started working with those two guys, I started putting things into practice in my life. I started reading the Bible, not because I had to, but because I wanted to. I started sharing my faith, not because I had to, but because it was such good news. I couldn't keep it to myself. I started praying for people. I started seeing God do things in my life that I never thought he could do in my life. Maybe someone else's, but not mine. And one day I was sitting just like one of these students, and I was watching a guy, and he was sharing his faith with another believer, with some people. And so I started praying, Lord, guide that conversation. Give him the words to say, be at work. And I was so excited. And then when he finished, I, I went up to him. I, I didn't even introduce myself. I was like, hey, I saw you, man. I was praying for you. He probably thought I was some wacko. But he stopped me. And then he said some things that, that took me aback. Because, again, I didn't know much about the Holy Spirit. And he started saying things to me that I never heard before. And I'm not trying to call these things into question, but he started saying, have you ever been slain in the Spirit? Do you speak in tongues? Have you done it? And I was like, whoa. Because I was confused. I didn't know any of this stuff. But he was making me feel like I wasn't a Christian. And, you know, for the first time, this is when I experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit for the first time in my life. I felt the truth of God that I had been filling in my mind that I didn't even know being called to light. God's Spirit starts saying, that's not true. You feel conviction of sin. God says in His Word, the Holy Spirit will call and cause, it convict you of sin in the world of sin and, and righteousness. I felt conviction. He said, the Holy Spirit will guide me in truth. I began to realize I was reading the Bible and understanding it for the first time. I began to realize he was changing my desires. I was wanting to do things that God wanted me to do, not just what my flesh wanted to do. That I valued being with God's family, other believers, not having just to go to church. I wanted to. And it was like right then, God said, you are mine. My spirit is at work in your life, and you don't even know it yet. But look how much I've transformed you. Because I was putting things into practice and changing my mind to stay in step with him. And for the first time, I knew that God's Spirit could work in my life and He can do the same in yours. Can I pray for us? Father, I just want to thank You so much for this day. I want to thank You for Your truth. And I want to thank You that even though it can be something that's complicated and confusing, You are so good. You give us everything we need for life and godliness. And Lord, I pray right now that You continue to do this work in our hearts, that our minds, our minds might be transformed and renewed by your truth so that we can be filled, directed, guided, empowered by your spirit, bringing these truths to life so we no longer do what we just want to do. We want to do what you want us to do. And Lord, we need you to do that in us because we can't do it ourselves. But we can cooperate every step of the way. And thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I would like to close this service. Um,